Hey, welcome back. I'm J.B. Shreve, and you're listening to the Faithful Considerations podcast. And we are a little over halfway through this podcast series that we're doing through the month of January 2023, Start kicking off the year with this. But halfway through our podcast series, looking at the idea or the reality of grace, the energy of God. And so that's the descriptor that we have given to the grace of God as we, we look at it outside the typical religious boxes as sometimes that I that concept, <laughs> that reality is put into. And so we're looking at how the grace of God can shape us, can mold us, and, and what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be a very central part of our lives as believers. And uh, as I've said since the very beginning of this series, if you will focus on the grace of God this year, if you will make this one of your primary focuses, I guarantee you, you'll change. I guarantee you that you will grow because this is one of the key agents that God uses to shape and mold us. It's one of the key things that Christ uh, gave us access to, to the throne of grace. So that's what we're looking at today. um, Actually, this whole section of episodes, the last one, and then these next two, we're going to look at some very practical steps that we can take, things that that make the grace available to us. So that's what we'll be looking at today. Um, I think that's going to do it. I want you to go to jbshreve.com if you haven't already. Be sure and subscribe to the blog. Uh, You can also get links to different books that I've got available there. Outside of that, let's go ahead and jump in to our look at the grace of God today and how we can access the grace. So we've spent the first half of this series describing the grace of God, the energy of God. We talked about what it is, how it works, hopefully help focus your mind on the incredible potential for change, for growth, for new life that many of us have been missing up until this point. Today, we're going to spend this episode looking at what the Bible says regarding how we access that grace. Now, full disclosure, spoiler alert, all that. This is actually going to be a two-parter. We're going to cover four different specific biblical points that discuss how we can access the grace of God for our lives. If we want the energy of God more active in our lives, do these things. That's this That's this episode. In the next episode, we're going to cover three more points, specific biblical points regarding how to access the grace. These are all specific biblical principles and directives which were guaranteed to gain the grace and energy of God if we do them, if we follow these things, okay? So we've already discussed how Jesus Christ is the one and only force that gave us access to this energy of God. That's what it's all about. So to be clear, we're not saying these things in addition to Christ's work will gain us grace. There are, well, there are specified channels in which the grace can be accessed and downloaded to our life described throughout scripture. These are heart postures that keep us from blocking, keep us from obstructing what Jesus did for us. In fact, in a later episode, we're actually going to look at a few subtle things that often separate or are often operate in our hearts to separate us, to shut down the grace of God from being as active as he wants it to be in our lives. So that's, that's later. We got a lot of ground to cover today. So in this episode, I want to go ahead and jump in to four different ways we can access the grace. All right. Now, number one, at the very top of the list of things we can do to posture our hearts for greater accessing of the energy of God is humility. 
Let's look at a couple of verses to back this up. Now, this is Proverbs 3.34. It says, surely he, um, let me start that over. Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3.34. Peter quotes that same verse when he exhorts the believers of the early church to submit to God and resist the devil. All right. This is the first Peter five verses five to seven, New King James Version. He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. So Peter and his quoting of that verse from Proverbs, he actually goes further than what Proverbs actually says, at least his language does. Pride, according to Peter, inspires God's resistance. Humility inspires God to give us grace. Well, that's what we want, right? But this is this is one of those tricky little things, all right? It's trickier than a lot of believers realize. The reason it's tricky is because often it's hard to identify when you have pride in your own life. The proud, by definition, don't see their own flaws, their own missteps, their own even arrogance. My wife and I were recently talking about times when we recognize the grace of God active in our lives and we reflected on our journey together. Now, she noted from her perspective, it was difficult for her to say, this was the grace of God or that was the grace of God. But then she said something really interesting. She, she could recognize it easier by asking the question, when in life was I humbled or when was I humble? Those moments leave a mark, right? Humility is when you refuse or you're unable to pick up your own strength, even though you might have been able to. We let God fight the battle for us, come what may. So it's so easy, this side of the battle, to say we're going to be humble in the moment, but when the rubber hits the road, that's when we find out, are we the type who will receive the grace of God, or are we the type who will receive the resistance of God? Humility is the foundational characteristic of a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's real important. Humility is the foundational characteristic of a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's the basis for our interrelations with one another. It facilitates the flow of the grace into and through our lives. Conversely, on the other side of that, pride blocks the grace. We literally face the resistance of God. Think about that. We don't want that. We face the resistance of God rather than his empowering life-giving energy when we operate in pride. Pride isn't merely arrogance. Pride is this self-preserving status built into the children of Adam since the fall of man. It says, I will take care of myself. I have the answer. I can do it on my own. I deserve respect for who I am. Those postures are antithetical to the kingdom of God. Notice that even at salvation, our first step, when we get saved, our first step in that process is to confess our sins, confess our inadequacies, our weaknesses. Grace cannot, cannot come to the proud because they close the gates of their life, the gates of their heart to it. Grace flows to the humble, not to the proud. The humble life boils down to a life lived in the danger zones. We abandon the security of the self and we cling to the faithfulness of God. Again, so easy to say that and so much more of a bigger deal to actually do it. All right. It's easy to say I'm going to be humble. It's a lot bigger deal when we can actually do it. And several key passages when Paul writes about grace in the New Testament, he defined a lifestyle of need. 
All right. He had this, for example, he had this thorn in the flesh and no one for sure, no one knows for sure what it was. Some, there's all sorts of theories out there. Some say it was a persecutor. Some say it was a, an addiction. Some say it was a physical handicap like epilepsy or something like that. No one knows for sure though. But in 2 Corinthians 12, he describes, Paul does, he describes how three times he went to God and he asked God to remove this thorn from him, heal him, make him stronger, whatever it took. And three times God refused him. Now that right there cancels out a lot of the pop theology out there that a lot of mega churches are built upon. God refused to fix this thing that tormented Paul. But God explains why. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. Each time Paul writing about this thorn in the flesh and the times he went to God and asked that it be removed, it says, each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you catch that? When I am weak, then I am strong. This weakness was key for Paul being who he was. It allowed the grace to flow. Where we're weak, he is strong. And where he's strong, we're strong if our life is built correctly. Where our, our frailties and our flaws abound, his grace abounds even more. Notice in this translation that grace is synonymous also with power. My grace is all you need, is what it says. My power works best in weakness. He's calling grace and his power the same thing. This isn't a culturally popular idea. We want to be strong. We want to be independent, self-made. All And all of that's fine and dandy, but it's not the kingdom of God. And anyone who says it is, is getting their definitions of what the kingdom of God is from somewhere besides the word of God. When we're weak, he is strong. When we are humble, he comes to our aid. In other passages in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks to the church about giving. And he's literally talking about the way in which we handle our money, how that can result in greater grace flowing through our lives. This is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8. He says, Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Give to the point of joy in your heart and the energy of God will overflow to you. That's what Paul's saying. You'll have everything you need. Now you could look at that passage and think that Paul is saying we can give more to get more grace. If we give more money, we get more grace. That's not what he's saying. You can't buy the grace of God. We already talked about a certain sorcerer who made that wrong assumption. We talked about him in the last episode. It's about letting the standards of God establish, be established in your heart for giving. Let that be the guide. Not your needs, not your retirement plans, not anything like that. Need, weakness, and humility are things we want to avoid in the world system. But in the kingdom of God, they're actually portals for more grace. The second key for accessing the grace of God that we want to look at today is faith. Now, for this one, I want to start off by reading a verse 
I'm sure you've heard a thousand times, but I want to ask you to hear this from a different perspective. Hear it from the perspective of accessing the energy of God, like what we've been talking about. Usually, this verse is featured when we talk about salvation, but there's more than salvation being discussed here. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in in the heavens, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Notice that it's grace in this passage. It's grace, the energy of God doing all the work described here. It's grace that makes us alive, though we were dead. Grace that saves us. Grace through Christ raises us up and seats us in the heavenly places to display the riches of God's grace. But notice what turns it on. You are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the spark that ignites the energy of God into this critical mass of uh, positive combustion in our lives, completely transforming our beings, reality, our destiny. I mean, you can take this all the way back to your salvation experience. The energy of God was rolling out all sorts of things all around you. But the moment you extended your faith and believed in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's when the grace, the faith, your faith activated. That's when the grace poured in personally to your life. Faith became the portal to make God's energy personal and relevant for you. But don't just stop at salvation. Think of those times when you needed him. That's why we go to God, right? We need him. We go to his throne of grace. We have need and we extend our faith. And when we do that, boom, the grace begins to flow. That's how it works. Here's a couple of more verses to buttress this reality of faith being a portal that turns on the flow of God's energy into our life. Uh, the first one, Romans 4, 16, it says, that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It depends on faith, right? Romans 5, 1 to 2, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, which we stand. Access by faith into the grace, which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Faith is key. Faith is one of the key things we can do to activate the grace in our lives. Next one, number three. Now, this one might be a little surprising to you. We've got to review something I talked about in an earlier episode. You remember how I mentioned that in the Old Testament, the word grace was the Hebrew word hen and was usually translated as favor. Well, this is one of those instances. This is from Proverbs thirteen fifteen. It says, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Well, that word favor right there is the Hebrew word hen. We're looking at grace here, right? Good understanding gains favor. Hen, good understanding gains grace. Now, there's two aspects of understanding that that present grace to our lives here. The first is understanding as enlightenment, right? There's a reason one of the spiritual offices 
that was installed in the church that we read about in the New Testament was that of the teacher. Understanding, when we understand things, when our mind gains understanding, when our soul gains understanding, the pathway for grace is set up to enter our minds and our heart. This is from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. It says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. Paul prayed for an enlightened understanding among the believers at Ephesus because understanding brings grace. One of the most common and trackable experiences of grace is when our understanding is enlightened through personal study of the Word of God, sitting before an important teacher, or, or our eyes simply being open as we're reading the Word of God. When that occurs, the energy, when that understanding occurs, the energy of God hits our soul in the moment of awakening. It's not merely intellectual. I was fooled into thinking this for many years. Your brain is understanding, but the real focus is on how that understanding opens your heart for the energy of God to move in. The grace moves beyond our mind and empowers us with the ability to change and become something new as we partner our will to the grace God has for us through understanding. All right. Now, the second aspect to recognize understanding as a, uh, as a gateway for the grace to be revealed is in the second half of the verse from Proverbs 13, 15. It says, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. The understanding, right, those who, the understanding gain grace, the understanding hear and see the truth, then they follow it. The unfaithful don't. The word unfaithful comes from the Hebrew word bagad. It means to act covertly, deal deceitfully, act treacherously. The unfaithful may get the aha moment of their mind being open, but they don't align their lifestyle to it. They'll remain, their will remains their, their own private playground to cut off from the grace of God. They make their lives harder than it needs to be. Let's look at this one final area that we can do that opens uh, the portal of grace over our lives. All right, there's, there's more we're going to cover, but we'll hit those in the next episode. But this one, I think, might surprise you. One of the areas of our lives that postures our heart, sets an atmospheric tone, and opens the portal for God's energy to flow into our lives is... I'd have a, I should have a drum roll right here, but it's the words we speak, all right? Look at this verse. This is from Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words can become channels for distributing grace, the, the energy of God among believers, the context for those words from Paul is specifically, it's not talking about teaching. Teaching is an instrument to spread the grace and energy of God. That's already understood, right? That opens understanding. But this passage right here is talking about believers restraining the talk, corrupt talk, talk born out of self, will, self-will that is meant to promote and preserve the self. And instead, they speak words that build up the body of Christ. This also isn't talking about flattery. That's just a camouflaged version 
of self-oriented talk. Speech that edifies or builds up the body of Christ comes from the heart. And more importantly, it comes from the heart journeying with God. The sharing of our hearts, of our lives, of our journey, and the goodness of our personal experience with God, that can be access points for the grace of God to land upon the lives of our brothers and sisters. At our church services, we often have feedback at the end of teachings. When I was young, I kind of signed off mentally after the teaching. I didn't understand the significance of the feedback, right? Not at that time. I get it now, though. As people share from their heart what they heard, what they gained from the teaching, what what God was doing in their lives, the portal opens up. The words we speak to one another as believers, these are enormously important. Don't take this for granted. Don't be too frivolous, too, too casual. Our speech can be a portal for the energy of God to show up. I want to close this episode. We're going to look at some more uh, ways to access the grace in the next episode. But I want to close this episode with this passage from the prophet Malachi that kind of shows what's going on in heaven when saints share their hearts with one another. This is what it looks like on the other end of the portal as it opens up at the sound of right words among the faithful people of God. This is Malachi three sixteen to 18. It says, at that, at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for him. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, a special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Words are a vital tool, a resource, a a portal launching point to access the grace of God in our lives. 